us. For those of you joining us on YouTube or through our podcast experience, we're just so glad that you're a part of what we're doing here. I would encourage you if what you're hearing or watching, it blesses you. It means a lot if you just like and share it uh, because then it will help to impact more people. And that's very much our heart. Uh, so yeah, I want to just kind of jump into this. We are in the middle of a series that we started last week called The Sound Mind. The Sound Mind. And our first session was on love. God loves me. And so if you guys remember, the, the weak mindset that we dealt with last week was I must love God. I must love God. And what happens is it puts all the focus on our ability to love him, our ability to hold on to him, our ability to please him. And then we replaced it with a sound mindset. And the sound mindset is this, God loves me. And what does that look like? So I, I, I feel like I want to start each session by going ahead and reviewing 2 Timothy 1.7. That is the foundational verse for this entire series. And this is that verse. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, sound mind is also translated as self-control or self-discipline. That's interesting to ponder. And the words power and love, that word power is the Greek word dunamis. That's the power of God. That word love is the Greek word agape, the God kind of love. So there's a couple of imperatives we have to see when we kind of dissect the truth in this verse. To have a sound mind, there's a direct connection between the power and love of God. So if you carry the revelation of his dunamis and his agape, a sound mind is going to be manifest in your life. Now, the phrase before those amazing encouragements, we find what's connected to an unsound mind, or we could say a mind full of anxiety, stress, and distraction. We're told what? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So if you can imagine this equation, fear equals an unsound mind. But the power and love of God equals a sound mind. And then if you can connect this truth in 2 Timothy to the power of what we see in 1 John 4, perfect love cast out fear. How does that happen? Because we understand that when we have a communion with God who is love, that fear cannot live in the same environment as perfect love. Perfect love always casts out fear. So anytime we talk about a sound mind, we know the initial imperative is simple. The power of God and the love of God equal a sound mind. So when we talk about that, we have to kind of start digging into some things. There are some mindsets that we carry that may even look innocent enough. But if we're not careful, they actually challenge the authentic character and nature of God. And in doing so, begin to cause us to doubt who he is. And then if we're not careful, we start going towards the unsound place. We start going to the place of distrust, suspicion, fear, anxiety. When we allow some of these things to take hold in our lives and grow down roots. And so in this session, session two, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. The title of this session is I Am Forgiven. Say, I am forgiven. 
So again, we're going to have several verses in this session. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up and follow along with these. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. Amazing, powerful verses in Scripture. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Say all. All, all means all. <laughs> Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that powerful? And then 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 this mystery that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. So in this session, weak mindset number two. Are you ready? Weak mindset number two. God can forgive. Sound mindset, God has forgiven. So again, let's look at that. It's subtle, but track with me. So what weak mindset are we going after today? Well, God can forgive. The sound mindset, God has already forgiven. I am forgiven. And so when we look at forgiveness... I understand that there are some things that we want to consider. There's, a, there's some patterns we want to look at. Uh, one of the things that I'm reminded of is when we look at Scripture, there's obviously a different journey that we see concerning forgiveness, especially when we start somewhere around Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 is when the law is given to Moses. We call it the law. We call it the Mosaic covenant. We call it the old covenant. From Exodus 19 forward, so much of the journey that we see concerning forgiveness reflects a lot of what we still believe about forgiveness today. So tell me if some of this reminds you, if this sounds familiar at all. So there would have to be sacrifice made for the forgiveness of sin. There were different levels of sacrifice. Some concerning the national level, there would be one sacrifice made a year. And if the high priest was found sinful trying to make that sacrifice, he didn't make it out of the presence of God, and your sin remained with you for a fo the following year. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful experience? Then there were lesser times where you could come and ask for forgiveness of small sins and things like that. And the requirements would simply be you bring a sacrifice. And usually the level of your sacrifice reflected the level of your sin. So you might bring a, a dove. You might bring... A sheep, you might bring a goat, you might bring a bull if you really got into some bull. You know what I'm saying? But sacrifices were being made, blood being spilt. And through much throughout the Old Testament, you see verbiage like this that God's blood would cover, it would cover our sin. We'd, we saw that example in the Passover in Egypt, where the blood of the Lamb was applied to the doorpost external covering to prevent anyone having knowledge of what was going on on the inside. 
Another example, which is beautiful, and we can't exhaust it in this session, is even the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is, is symbolic of humanity. Because the wood that it's made out of, shatim wood, it's a twisted, gnarled wood. It's not fit for anything. But God says, I'll use that wood to build the wooden framework for a place where my presence will fill. But then we're going to cover it in pure gold. So the, the wood itself is concealed and covered. And then on the top of it, we're going to put a piece called the mercy seat. Come on, this is, this is all of our story right here. God takes us, fashions us, covers us in gold, puts a lid on us called mercy, and he, he tells everybody, don't touch what I have anointed. Don't touch what I blessed. And then if you go on and you take the journey with the Ark of the Covenant, you find all these pieces in the Ark that reflect the journey of a faithless nation, a nation that didn't trust God, a nation that murmured and complained, and there are the artifacts on the inside of that ark. But it doesn't matter. When mercy goes on top of it, no one gets to see what's on the inside. But still, the principle, as beautiful as it is, the principle is God covers our sin. Well, once Jesus comes and on the work of the cross, we're going to get in this and blow this thing up. We find out he no longer simply covers. He completely removes sin once and for all. He, he deals the death blow to sin. This is not about trying to sneak under the radar of our holy God. This is about being able to stand boldly in his throne room of grace. This is only possible because of the work of Jesus. So while we can certainly sample and enjoy the truths of what we see in the Old Testament concerning how sin was dealt with, I want to go in and look at what the work of the cross did concerning how sin was dealt with. And this is how sin is dealt with concerning the work of Jesus. God has forgiven past, present, and even into your future. Wow. God has forgiven your past, your present, and even into your future. My God, I, I'm a mess right now. I don't know if we're even going to make it through these notes. In Joshua chapter 4, we see a similar picture in the Old Testament. You guys remember, Joshua is there at the River Jordan with the nation of Israel. Moses is gone. There's a shift in leadership now. And Joshua begins to get orders from the angel of the Lord. And this is what he tells them to do. He says, the priests are going to lead the nation. Keep your eye on the ark, which means what? Keep your eyes on the presence of the Lord. This was a different style of leadership. You see, Moses, he was a man that wanted to be seen. He was a man that wanted platform ministry. Come on, follow me and I'll smash down my rod and you'll see the oceans part. But Joshua said, I'll lead in the midst of the people. Keep your eyes on the presence of the Lord. And when, they, when the priest got their toes into that river... I know some of you, I'm preaching something you already know, but I'm going to preach it anyway because it makes me happy. That when their toes touched the water, it says that the waters began to part. And it says they parted one way, which was backwards, and it says they were heaped up back to a city called Adam. There's a reason that city is called Adam. We're trying to have a spiritual picture of what Jesus does for each one of us. After all, you understand the name Joshua, also translated as the name Jesus. 
He's a type and shadow of Jesus. And when his toes step into our river, our past is rolled back to a city called Adam. It's not rolled back to just the iniquity of your grandfather. It goes far back to people you've never met, you never dreamed of meeting. It goes all the way back to the genesis of humanity. Your sins are rolled back, all the way back to a city, to a man called Adam. And if that's not blessing enough, we're also told in that encounter in Joshua 4 that the water was cut off down to where it was going to empty. Do you know where the Jordan River empties? Into the Dead Sea. Do you see the picture? Our destiny outside of Christ will end up in the Dead Sea. But as soon as He touches our lives, He reclaims our past, He secures our future, He changes our destiny. I should have ended up in the Dead Sea. But just like the children of Israel, I'm walking over into the promised land. And the promised land is not Great Beulah. It's not someplace out of reach. It's a place I can enjoy right now. We call it the kingdom of God. And it's marked by righteousness, peace, and joy in Holy Ghost. I'm a mess right now. My goodness. So God has forgiven past, present, and into our future. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. That's Ephesians 1 verse 7. In the original Greek text, the verb for have is in the present tense, which indicates durative action, meaning we are continually having forgiveness of sins. It's always there, all the time, always active. It includes every sin we have committed, any sin we are committing, any sin we will commit. It is continually in motion. 1 John 2.12 says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Isn't that interesting? John didn't say, you'll be forgiven one day when you ask for it. No, he responds to them, letting them know, hey, you're new to all this. I want to put you on notice. Your sins are forgiven. Wow. The Greek perfect tense used here for are forgiven, meaning this forgiveness is a definite action completed in the past with the effects continuing into the present. This means that God's forgiveness avails for you in your present and continues into your future. So let me give you another clear scripture that states that all of our sins, including our future sins, have been forgiven. How about this one? We read it already, Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. This is the New Living Translation. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. If you can imagine, I love that, a record of your wrongdoing. And listen, what does the work of Jesus do? He takes the record and cancels it. You don't get to hold on to the record and add to it later. He takes the record and nails it to the cross. And the challenge is, if you want to know any of my kids after the flesh, you're going to have to come and take it down off the cross. And no one has the authority or power to get to that place except me. So if I say that it is over, if I say the record is expunged, well, then the record is taken care of. Wow. 
Jesus forgave all our sins. The word all in that verse I just shared, in the Greek, the word is pos, meaning every kind or variety. The totality of the persons or the things referred to. So in other words, we can take, we'll take Tim. Tim's an example. Jesus says, I take your record, I nail it to the cross. What does that mean concerning the fullness of who Tim is? This is what it means. The totality of everything that applies to Tim, that refers to Tim, I have canceled the charge, I've nailed it to the cross. Wow. That's why, again, we're admonished. In the family of God, you can't know someone after the flesh. Know no man after the flesh. You must know them after the spirit. Because if I try to know them after the flesh, I'm trying to get up on a cross I'm not ordained to get onto. I'm trying to open an ark that the presence of God has already put the mercy seat on top of. I don't have access to knowing people after the flesh, including myself. I have to know Matthew after the spirit just as I know you after the Spirit. It refers to all, any, every, the whole. So all truly means all. God's forgiveness of our sins covers every sin, past, present, and future. When we receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we receive the total and complete forgiveness of all our sins. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 says it this way. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Remember the old covenant expression, they could cover sin, but they could not take it away. So again, the writer of Hebrews is telling us, you guys know this pattern. You know the history of how this works. These priests are doing this all the time. They're exhausted daily. They're making sacrifices. They can't take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever. Do you hear that? One, he, he, Jesus is never going to offer another sacrifice to forgive sin. He offered one. It took care of sin forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's a tongue twister right there. Did you guys just see the last phrase I read? By one offering, he has perfected forever those. Let's stop right there. Who are those? It's us. It's them. It's them to come. He has perfected those. So in his economy, you're perfected. But then look at the following statement. Perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So it's a present continual in working, but in the economy of the kingdom, you're already perfected in this process. So he gives us grace. He gives us space to work through our shortcomings. But it does not change his estimation of what he's already done concerning us. You are forgiven. You are perfected. You are made whole. So much of our Christian journey is catching up to what God has already done. We call it new. He welcomes us to the party. You are forgiven. Now, the second part of this, we're going to shift gears a little bit because that's, man, you can, you can tear the paint off the walls with this truth right here we're talking about. So how does this look practically in my life when it comes to forgiving others? 
right? We, we got to go there. Because we can celebrate all day long about how our good Father has forgiven us all of our sins. But if we're not willing to forgive others, no matter how deep this powerful truth is, it's still shallow in our experience. Right? We got to see how deep it goes for each one of us personally. And I want to challenge you, we're going to get into this, the way you can measure how deep this revelation goes into your spirit is based on how radically you can forgive someone else. Yeah. So let's go for it. So for us, how does this look practically? We must forgive at every opportunity. Every opportunity. So I, I want to do this. I want to recap. Some of you guys have heard me talk about this. So Jesus in his earthly ministry, one of the things I love of many, one of the things I so appreciate about the ministry of Jesus is when he does something, he invites us to be a part of it. He invites us to participate. And I believe that's a pattern that every local church has to figure out how to implement, right? That every person in a local family of believers should be invited to demonstrate, invited to be an active part of what's happening. And listen, I appreciate those that help with greeting and sound and those kinds. I'm talking about you're involved in ministry because Jesus did the same thing. He did something. He showed us a pattern that he invited us to participate. He invited us to all the signs and all the wonders. So again, for example, walking on water. Jesus did it. Peter did it. Now, he wasn't very good at it, but he still did it. Come on, I haven't done it. So, I mean, how can I talk about how bad Peter's done it? I haven't walked on water, right? What about translation? You know, where you can literally like zap from zip code to zip code by the Spirit. That's pretty cool stuff. Jesus did it. Philip did it. It wasn't just an isolated incident. Multiplying food. I, I have friends that have actually seen food multiply. I want to see some of that. That's some cool stuff right there. You know, and it appears that God, he's not even, he does, he's not even prejudiced concerning what type of food it is. I think it was like a spaghetti dinner. I'm like, man, if God's interested in multiplying spaghetti, bring me out the filet mignons, bring me out the rack, rack of ribs. Come on, Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome to do a church fundraiser? And I just, Tim, just go get one rack of ribs. I think that's all we're going to need. Wink, wink, right? <laughs> Jesus did it. His disciples did it. That healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead. Jesus did it. His disciples did it. Matthew 28, he says, All power that has been given to me by my Father, I now give to you. He has invited us to all the signs and all the wonders. But there's one thing he left out. One thing he left out until John 20. After the work of the cross... Everything we just talked about, all these miracles he had done was before the work of the cross. But John 20, he saves his best gift for last. John 20, verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. So he saves the best for last. Remember, he invites us into all the signs and wonders. So I think it's interesting that he would hold this one back until after the work of the cross. Because pre-cross, he did this on several occasions. You guys remember, he would forgive people of their sins. And usually when he did this, there were people that desired to take his life <laughs> because they could not believe the arrogance of someone daring to try to forgive someone their sin. Only God can forgive sin. Yeah, that's the point. 
And so Jesus invites his disciples to do that very same thing. Do you understand the power to forgive is one of the great supernatural tools at your disposal? I love this quote by Bill Vanderbush. You cannot give away what you have not received. You must receive grace as a gift before you can give it. The best way to move toward forgiving yourself is to extend the grace you've been given to someone who doesn't deserve it. In other words, how can I see grace? How can I see forgiveness mature in my life? I start giving forgiveness to those that I'm convinced don't deserve it. And listen, I'm not going to take a poll in here. I'm not going to ask Facebook or YouTube. You don't have to answer these directly. But is there anyone in your life right now that when you think about them, the last thing that comes up in your spirit is forgive them. I release forgiveness. If there's anyone that comes up in your spirit, I challenge you, go ahead and release forgiveness right now. Release forgiveness in their direction. It's holy. It's Christ-like. It's powerful. And you are anointed to do it. Anointed to do it. Because you see what the... So there's the encouragement and the admonition. But if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. What does that mean? You can hold unforgiveness so in your heart that it can even keep a measure of bondage concerning that person. No, go ahead and release forgiveness. If you forgive them their sins, they are forgiven. Again, I don't want to step on too many toes. Jesus doesn't say if you forgive them in my name... If you forgive them and say, I'm backing you up. No, I say, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Our Catholic brothers and sisters got this part right. They still kind of manipulate it a little bit, which I don't like. You know, it's not, it's not coming and saying your Hail Marys. It's not coming in, you know, okay, I forgive you your sins and you're absolved now that you've confessed. No, this, this goes far beyond that. This is demonstrating the character and nature of Jesus. This is demonstrating, this is our way of participating in the work of the cross. The work of the cross forgave sin forever. And now our part is we get to go and be reminders of what that forgiveness looks like. How do we do that? By demonstrating it on a daily basis. I'm reminded of, you know, early on, Jesus' disciples were blown away. When even the concept of forgiveness, even when someone repented. He said, well, how about this? If they strike you, just turn the other cheek. Well, Lord, how many times? Yeah. 70 times 7. Do the math. And he wasn't saying when 490 times comes, you can punch them in the head in 491. Yeah. That's not what he meant. What he was talking about was uh, forgiveness is connected to a ministry that is void of retaliation. Right. Come on. What he was saying was, turn the other cheek until you no longer desire to bust them in the lip. That's what he was basically saying. Turn the cheek until you no longer desire to retaliate. Because in that place, you can truly begin to demonstrate who I am. Because you guys don't know what's about to happen to me, but I'm going to endure suffering and hardship that no one in humanity has ever endured. And I will not fight back. I will not retaliate. Why? Because my goal is to forgive humanity. <laughs> if you desire to retaliate, we don't have to talk about forgiveness. Why? Because you'll take matters into your own hands. 
<laughs> Jesus could have done that. Aren't we told that? He could have called down angels from heaven. He could have. But I want you to hear this. He wouldn't have. Because there was joy set before him that even the angels didn't have a reference point for. Enduring this hardship. It's amazing. So I wanted to find grace and see if this sounds like forgiveness. One of my favorite definitions of grace. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Let me read that again so you can jot that down. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Now I know, I know there, there are arguments about how forgiveness works. There are arguments about why well, I don't want to be taken advantage of, so I want to make sure I'm clear on a couple things. Just to be clear, forgiveness is not, it's not immediate forgetting. Now, in the mind of God it is. But for us, we have to process it, okay? God, He actually says that He takes any our past transgressions, throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. So God literally cannot know you or reference you from past mistakes, okay? But now for us, for our human experience, it doesn't mean we automatically forget, okay? Because let's be honest, you can't forgive what you, I mean, you, you forgive what you can't forget. That's why forgiveness is in play. If you'd already forgotten about it, we wouldn't have to be talking about forgiveness. It's also not an excuse. You only forgive what you have accused someone of doing or have done to you. It's not an excuse for what was done. I hear that all the time. Well, Apostle, I can't forgive because you just don't know. It's not for me to know. The power of this gift is greater than a transgression. Forgiveness is not, it's also not about trust. Well, I don't know if I'll ever trust them again. I'm not asking you to trust. I'm asking you to forgive. Okay? You can forgive immediately. Trust will take time. And that's okay. But I want to also just give you, admonish you with this. When you forgive someone, you must also guard your heart against referencing the thing that you forgave them for. Because if we're not careful, it's, we're not truly forgiving if we keep using that same thing as the issue for while we won't trust them, while we won't give them you know, a, another chance. You, you still have to be... I know, and it's tough. It's, it's about maturing. It's growing up. I know. Forgiveness is not about reunion. It's not about, they, they may never be your friend again. And that's okay. I like to say it this way. Forgiveness at least puts you in this position that when you're walking down the same aisle in Walmart, you don't feel like you've got to run the other direction. That you can walk past them. You can smile and greet them. And your heart is okay. Yeah, you may never go out again to a movie. It's okay. But it, your heart is settled and clear. And then finally, forgiveness is not an emotion. Now, it can very well be emotional, what surrounds it, but it's not an emotion. It's the refusal to retaliate. And it's the willingness to bless. The ministry of Jesus is a ministry without retaliation. 
So what does forgiveness look like? Said and done, if we want to cut it down to the simplicity of the action, it is your willingness to bless someone who does not deserve to be blessed. Hmm. Isn't that something? <laughs> How in the world can I land this? I'm all over the map. Okay, let's, we'll land on this. So I have, I have, I know the web people that listen to this and they say, well, I hear what you're saying. I believe it. You know, if there's one thing that can be said about the forgiveness of God, we can all agree it's unconditional, right? Mm -hmm. So, so God, he does not look at your level of sin and say, okay, that, that's a little too much for me. I don't, can't, it's not going to happen today. God doesn't do it that, he, he forgives, it's unconditional. So we can say, okay, well, God can do that because he's God, but, but I don't know if I can do that. How, how can I forgive unconditionally? I think, first of all, if you apply the, thing, the points I just made, it's not about forgetting, it's not an excuse, it's not about trust, it's not about reunion, and it's not an emotion. You, you realize that you have the power to forgive the most heinous, offenses and atrocities that mankind can experience. You have that grace on you when you understand what forgiveness is all about. Because otherwise, we will sign up for forgiveness, but we still keep it conditional. And so let's, just, just a couple minutes, let me tell you what's wrong with that. There's something wrong with conditional forgiveness. And, and, and the big downside to thinking that forgiveness is conditional beyond the fact that it's not supported in Scripture, <laughs> is that knowing humanity, we will always find a reason to not forgive. We will find a condition, and then we'll have our reason. Oh, well, that's it. I'm not going to forgive. We will always think that someone hasn't repented enough. And again, if we try to connect someone's repentance with our ability to forgive, we're, gonna be, uh, we're not going to be satisfied either. God forgives us even when he doesn't see the fruit of repentance. Actually, I believe it's his forgiveness that creates a pathway for us to truly experience repentance. Another point that I didn't even want to get into tonight, throughout the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and pre-cross, we're always talking about um, asking for forgiveness of sin. On the other side of the cross, the verbiage of repentance begins to happen. So there's a difference between asking for forgiveness and repenting of behavior. Two different subjects. So forgiveness can often release someone into a pathway of repentance. And that's something. Could you imagine if that's how you went after every situation? If you felt like your ability to forgive would help them become free to repent, all of a sudden it might make us more eager to forgive. Because what is repentance? We know we've studied that word up one side and down the other, but the basic meaning of that word means to change one's mind. To do an about face. They were going one direction, now they're going the opposite direction. That is what God is looking for. He's not looking for children begging Him for forgiveness every day of the week. He's looking for kids that are maturing in their repentance. Come on, if there's something that I am doing that I know I'm making a demand on God's forgiveness because I know what I'm doing is wrong. What God is looking for in my life is the fruit of repentance. He's not looking for me to cry out for more forgiveness. Why? Because the forgiveness has already been supplied. But now we want to talk about repentance. That's a different subject. It's a very needed subject to talk about. Plus, conditional forgiveness encourages us to carry lists against all the people 
that have offended us over the years. Rather than being seen as a gracious child of God, people avoid us for being a rigid legalist who carries grudges. That's what happens when we walk in conditional forgiveness. So what is modeled for us through the work of Jesus is unconditional. Therefore, the fruit that we must demonstrate is unconditional. So in this session, we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to pray here. Session two, we're talking about I am forgiven. The weak mindset that we're addressing is, well, God can forgive. That's a weak mindset. The sound mindset, God has already forgiven. And when I plummet the depths of that revelation, I can then begin to give what I know I have received. And that's across the board. It's not just forgiveness. We have a revelation of His love. I can actually start to love people the way God loves me. I can forgive the way that He forgives. I can see people the way that He sees me. But I cannot give out of abundance what I have no revelation of that I've received for myself. Right? All right, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for this session today as we talk about being forgiven. Lord, I thank you that through the work of the cross, you have dealt with the sin issue once and for all. And Lord, by the work of the Holy Spirit, you give us the ability to repent, to, to make a demand on that forgiveness, knowing that it takes care of our record, past, present, and future. You do not know us according to sin. That is not the reference point for how you identify your sons and daughters. You call us beloved. You call us forgiven. You call us your own. And so, Lord, it's from that deep well of revelation, that deep well of appreciation, knowing, Lord, that you've forgiven us of some outstanding things, things that, if we were just honest, we don't deserve to be forgiven yet you have forgiven. Lord, it's from that place that we can begin to release forgiveness to others. It's otherworldly, it's supernatural. It's not even meant to be processed with our natural mind. It is the work of the Spirit. And so Lord, help us to forgive as we are forgiven. Even as you admonished your own disciples, you told them that when you pray, make sure that you forgive others their trespasses. So, Lord, forgiveness on our part is very much active towards our brothers, our sisters, and our neighbors. Lord, help us to live the forgiven life. Lord, I just thank you for all these things now. I decree them by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, whether you're joining us through Facebook or YouTube or our podcast, it means the world to us that you're a part of this. Uh, God bless you. We will see you again next week.